You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Dan Herter. He is CEO at Pure Spectrum. We're going to talk to him about the world of cannabis, specifically around CBD and where we're going with this stuff. Hemp, CBD, cannabis, they're all kind of intertwined at some level from kind of a plant point of view, but we've kind of made these distinctions from a legal kind of regulation point of view. And obviously, that creates some vastly different worlds in terms of business and industry. So we're going to talk to Dan a little bit about the space he plays in, you know, how that's kind of shaped the business and where things are going. We'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, about regulations and where that is, you know, both cannabis and hemp are highly affected by kind of regulatory environments and really change the dynamics or shape the dynamics of the industry. So uh, hear about that and just hear about business, what's working, what's not working and where things are going. So with all that, Dan, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you on. So before we dive into Pure Spectrum and everything you're doing in hemp cannabis space, let's get a little background. I guess, how did you get into business? How did you get into cannabis and hemp? Give us the backstory. Yeah, thanks. I've always been called to business in some way, shape, or form. I remember a popular TV show when I was in high school, so kind of dating how young I am here probably. (laughs) But I remember watching Entourage in high school, and I was always felt close to E, the manager, more so than like the rock star. I really like the business roles. And so that led me into managing some metal bands when I was in high school. Some of my friends were all in a band. And that was really just, you know, negotiating with the door guy for $2 a head instead of a dollar a head since we had the majority of the people there. And so then we could have, you know, $17 for Taco Bell instead of nine. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's where my business really started. And so then I ended up going to the University of Kansas and getting my degree in information systems from the School of Business there and learned a lot. While I was there, I went to entrepreneurship classes and things like that that I found really interesting. And I started to work for a software company out of college, a very large software company. And I worked my way up quickly there to the position of a senior design consultant where I was implementing software, but I was also designing the process for how the software could upgrade. And I was in the public sector. So actually, my last client was the United States HR department. I designed their whole onboarding workflow for their paperwork in the HR department that they still use today, actually. So I had some pretty big clients and I learned a ton from a the, the company I went into was different than the company I left. The company I went into had a dodgeball court in the basement. We had <laughs> a slide from the second to first floor. and I love it. We were acquired by Lexmark at one point, and we became the enterprise software division of Lexmark. And I remember the feeling being that, like, did we just acquire this company of, like, wild animals? <laughs> they bring in kegs on Fridays, they have papa shots and play ping pong, and it was kind of that like stereotypical Do we need to get vaccinations? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it was a lot of fun. We didn't have a lot of budget. We were absolutely crushing and so the Christmas parties were fun and things like that. But by the time I left it had been 
a lot more buttoned up, a lot more corporate and culture. And I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from the transition. I learned a lot from the original culture. And I'm glad that I got my start kind of in traditional business world and that side of things before getting into entrepreneurship. I think it helped me a lot in building a business from the ground up. Yeah. So tell me how hemp and cannabis came up. I mean, what was your previous experience? How did you kind of see it as a business opportunity? Give us the story there. Yeah. So for me, I was always drawn to cannabis. I'll be very transparent with you. I started using cannabis at 16 and it made me feel a lot better. I was someone who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 10 years old, which is very young to get Crohn's disease. And so I was kind of always wound tight, even as a 10 year old. You know, Crohn's is normally due to stress or carrying the stress in your stomach. And that's why they were surprised to see it in a 10 year old is how can a 10 year old already be this stressed? And it's just who I am. Uh, This is the answer there. So cannabis helped me deal with that a lot, even at 16. And I was always called to it. I always felt a chip on my shoulder to prove people wrong, especially in college. You know, I used cannabis a lot in college pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. And I still had a 3.8 GPA. I worked three jobs. I had a social life. I was very opposite of what your stereotypical quote unquote stoner would look like. And that was always a chip on my shoulder. I always loved that. And while I was consulting actually for the software company, I was out in Denver working for Regis University at the time. And a friend of mine invited me out to a grand opening of a hemp company. And this hemp company, they had a bunch of hemp food. I remember they had like hemp nachos (laughs) and hemp things. And then they had a crowd of people and they had speakers. And and these speakers were talking about their experience with CBD oil. At the time, I think this was 2014 or 2015. And my knowledge of CBD oil was so primitive at the time that I understood cannabis had two parts to it. And THC was the fun part that got you high and CBD (laughs) was the medical part that helped you. And those were separate. And I say that was my primitive understanding is because it's so much more complex and nuanced now. And THC has plenty of medicinal benefits and so does CBD and they work on completely different receptors. But to me, that was very compelling to me because I could work on a more accepted, less stigmatized version of cannabis that was solely focused on health and wellness. And so that was exciting to me and got me interested and involved that day. Actually, I went to the owner and I said, how do I get involved? What can I help with? And they encouraged me to get my own LLC, file for an EIN, and start wholesaling for them back in Kansas City where I was living. So Mm -hmm. that's where I got started. And I remember their branding was horrible, and they had a giant (laughs) marijuana leaf on the back of their labels. And so I would regularly get laughed out of chiropractic offices of like, can you even be in here with this? Like. (laughs) Please leave. Yeah. I was like, no, it's it's CBD. This is legal. This comes from Colorado. Their farm oh bill God. started in 2014. And it's just the wall of education I was up against was huge. Uh, and I remember I went to Commerce Bank, a big bank, and I started a bank account. And I said, oh, yeah. my company's name was CBD Remedy LLC. So it was right in the name, which, as you know, as early person in the oh, space, yeah. don't do that. Just <laughs> you're asking for trouble. But I didn't know that at the time. So it was CBD Remedy LLC. I went in. I had my operating agreement. I had my articles of incorporation. And I said, I'm starting a business and I'm selling CBD oil. And they said, what is CBD oil? Yeah. And I said, well, it's an oil. It comes from a plant. And they're like, 
like an essential oil? And I was like, yeah, it seems pretty essential for some people. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> so they gave me my bank account. Oh, and wow. I was off to the races from there. I got kicked out of that same bank account two years later. But oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> starting out, that it was, was so early. Yeah, they didn't know what it was at the time. So oh. that was really the start. And then it was a crazy growth after that company ended up. That company still exists today. That company was called Ambery Gardens out of Evergreen, Colorado. And the co-founder was kicked out. He was the guy I knew. He was kicked out or something as the story that he told me. But he was like, don't worry, I'm starting my own company. And I want you to come join me as a co-founder and as COO. And I was, again, still living in Kansas City. I was still working for the software company. I had a really good job. And I had worked myself into a lot of job security because I had taken on a piece of software that we bought out of Germany that was just a bear that no one wanted to deal with. And yeah, so sure. I made that my, I became the SME in that software <laughs> so that I was protected. If I was the only one that knew anything about that piece of software, they can't really let me go. And more so if I asked to move out to Colorado to move into this guy's basement, they would say, yes, as long as you keep servicing our clients, you can do whatever you want to do. And so that's exactly what that's happened. Right. I moved out to Colorado. I'd get my 40 hours of billable work done for the software company by Wednesday night or Thursday morning, and then spend the entire rest of the time trying to build and, and grow Pure Spectrum and get it off the ground. Yeah. And I remember those early days, it was just relationships and it we gave away a ton of free product. Sure. We really believed in what we had and, and we had experienced that if we gave away enough product, if we gave away 10 products, six or seven people would come back with a crazy story about how it helped them or how they gave it to their aunt and it helped her. Yeah. And so we gave away a ton of free product in the beginning just to let people know that CBD is a real thing. We didn't have THC in it because we were targeting a lot of athletes and yeah. you have an endocannabinoid system. And that was what got me into the industry. That is what keeps me going. That is what gets me excited for the future is we have an endocannabinoid system. No one's ever told you about it. It's egregious to me. We're not teaching about it in near enough medical schools. It should be entire practices. It's not. I should be talking to you about your endocannabinoid system as a doctor, and I'm not. Yeah. And it's just that to me is the most egregious thing. And it's the thing that gives me the most passion to stay in this place and say, maybe it's not about CBD. Maybe it's really about your endocannabinoid system. Yeah. Because, you know, as we're starting to learn, you can balance your endocannabinoid system by following a Mediterranean diet. Yep. So do you even need CBD? Could you yep. accomplish the same effects? And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm managing partner i'm leading a cbd company and i'm telling you this yeah. <laughs> and so like i understand the risk there but i also like am a seeker of truth first yeah. and foremost and that's the truth as i see it today is you might not <laughs> it might help and to me it's how do we increase the levels of our own endocannabinoids because it was called anandamide one of the endocannabinoids that we know of it's called anandamide for a reason it comes mm -hmm. from sanskrit meaning bliss it's the bliss molecule Yep. And so if we can increase our own endocannabinoids, well, then we know that implementing something like CBD can slow the degradation of those endocannabinoids. So we can increase them, then we can slow their degradation down. And so let them last longer, then we're going to probably feel better. To me, that logically makes sense. And so I really try to pitch a, a holistic view of 
just taking CBD can only do so much. If your diet's awful, if you're not getting out in community, if you're not working out, if you're not doing these other things that are going to help stimulate and put your endocannabinoid system in a good state, it's only going to do so much for you. But if you yeah. take on all of those things, then you know there's a lot of magic and power in that. Yeah. Bruce Eckfeld here. Are you a founder or CEO looking to grow and scale your business? Are you feeling stuck and struggling to get to the next level? Maybe your leadership team is just not aligned and lacking accountability. I can help. I work with companies to craft highly effective and scalable growth strategies and create high-performance leadership teams to execute on them. Using my unique combination of frameworks and tools from Scaling Up, Metronomics, 3HAG, Lean and Agile, and my own experience as a founder and CEO of an Inc. 500 company, I help teams accelerate their growth, increase profitability, and dramatically reduce risk and drama as we go. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help, Check out my website at Eckfelt.com or email me at Bruce at Eckfelt.com. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T.com. Now on to the episode. I'm curious what, given that you've had a strong professional career in some of these other industries, particularly in technology, what about those experiences have you been able to transfer, kind of translate into the work that you've been doing in CBD in the, in the cannabis world? And what didn't transfer so well? I guess, what did you have to learn or what were the kind of the rude awakenings that came up as you got into the business of cannabis? Oh, man. I'm sure you probably had this conversation a thousand times, but I say it often. I love what I do. I hate my industry. And I don't use the word hate often, but I just, it's gotten a lot better. You know, like I said, I got in, in in 2014 and 2015, and I remember the MJ BizCon of 2016 and, and how mm-hmm. different that looked than the MJ BizCon of today. But you had an industry that was formed seemingly overnight that had very little barrier to entry, and it attracted a lot of black market people that were selling in a similar industry, but they wanted to, quote unquote, go legit. And so it was filled with a lot of shady characters and I'm being as nice as I possibly can in the way I'm describing this. But if you've been in the industry long enough, you know, you can deal with a lot of unscrupulous types of individuals. And to me, that was the hardest realization was I went from somewhere so buttoned up and so professional to, and it's been said time and time again, but to the wild, wild west. There was no rules. There was people doing whatever they want, saying whatever they want, making claims that they shouldn't have been making. And we quickly became an enemy of ourselves. We had enough stigma and things to go up against. And then you have bad actors in the space that are just making it harder for everyone. And so for me, the corporate world, you knew what to expect. And at least if it was fake respect and it was the per my last email type language, I knew how to deal with that. And then you didn't have as much like blatant fraud, honestly, of companies saying they could do X, Y, and Z, and they obviously couldn't. I won't name the company's name, but I remember a NOCO hemp festival in 2017 where a company was claiming that they had CBD isolate, CBG isolate, CBC isolate, all the acids, all these things that no one had. And not only that, but they were doing it with water distillation. And it was just... Such an obvious lie, and no one was going to call him on it because who knew? And to me, that just never would have flown in the corporate world. You had to have like backup. And so, 
what I did learn from the corporate world is it's not that hard to get ahead if you just do the basics. If you follow up and if you say you're going to do something and you actually do it, if you have an understanding of the acronym CYA, which, <laughs> you know, stands yep. for cover your butt. Yep. If you're doing that, like you can get pretty far in business. You really just do the basics. And it seems so simple. And I think it's so overlooked by people. People get caught up in logos and color schemes and they got it like really just do good business like do what you say you're gonna do and do it in the time that you say you're gonna do it and so a lot of that like just doing good business following up getting everything in writing and all of that translated really well and helped us get ahead really early because there wasn't a big air of professionality i remember yeah. if you did show up to mj bizcon with the suit on you were the outcast yeah, you wouldn't exactly. want you there right yeah yeah. And so you either wanted to fit in with the crowd as it was, or you were okay with standing out for a while because it made doing business with people easier if that was the business that you wanted to do. If you wanted to be a true professional, yes, you might have lost some of the legacy guys and things like that, but I was okay with that. I wanted to do professional business. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about... I guess how the CBD hemp industry has kind of unfolded for you. I mean, you know, I know we had the farm bill and then some changes to the farm bill. And then there was kind of a, you know, a mass production of CBD and hemp in various forms and kind of big swings in the market. Obviously, the benefit being that because it's under the farm bill, you can distribute nationally and you're not under restrictions from, you know, a THC point of view. But that also has some dynamics. I mean, I guess give me a sense of how this industry has played out for you and where kind of the opportunities and challenges have been. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it really all started with CBD. And that was like all that I really understood or knew. And as I learned more about the endocannabinoid system and CBD, I agree with you, I saw such a bigger opportunity because of the ability to spin up a website and sell to all 50 states. And mm -hmm. I got started early, I moved to Colorado early, and, and they had a farm bill that was passed in 2014, that did essentially what the 2018 farm bill that Donald Trump signed did for the rest of the nation. And so I felt like Colorado and Kentucky had a huge head start because of their farm bills getting started four years earlier than everybody else. And in that, you started to see that, especially in the early days, a lot of the companies were pitching in a way that you have X condition, try CBD. And so, you know, I think Dravet syndrome is very well known. It was actually my first introduction to the plant it was a child with Dravet syndrome who was having 60 to 70 seizures a day, and he went down to six or seven yeah. a week after yeah. six, 60 to 70 a day. And I got to sit with his family. His name was Owen. He's an amazing family. And their life was changed. And they came from my home state of Kansas, where they believed if they had that CBD oil, they would have been thrown in jail because it yeah. came from cannabis. And that to me was insane. And then you learn about the story of Charlotte Figgy, obviously, that inspired the Charlotte's Web. And, you know, Charlotte Figgy also had Dravet syndrome. And so you had these people, you know, Ralph Amashulam did his own study on epilepsy and things like that. And so you had companies that took this evidence and said, well, if it works for this, it might work for other things. And they were marketing towards a problem. And I saw a lot of problems with that of, A, we came out of the gate terrified of claims, of yeah, the sure. FDA seeing us as making any claims. And 
if I was telling the story of Owen or if I was telling the story of Charlotte, then I could be seen as making a claim that if you have Dravet syndrome, CBD is going to help you. And I never wanted to get caught in that. And so instead, because I was learning more and more about the endocannabinoid system, and that was becoming clear to me that that is one of the most important systems in our body, to me, it was, okay, why don't we market to healthy people then? Why don't we market to yeah. those that are already interested in optimizing their lives and finding the little biohack things and things like that? Why don't we do that? And if we do that, the best way to reach those people is to market to them through other people, the healthiest of us, the ones that spend the most money on their health and wellness, athletes, professional athletes that get paid to try to perform at their highest day in and day out. And so we reached out to our network and we early found that we had a pretty robust network of UFC fighters and we started to onboard UFC fighters left and right. After we had one, he started making money off of RevShare with sharing a link and a code with his audience, and he started to see himself recovering faster from training and things yeah. like that. And so he was sharing his authentic experience, and especially back then in, in 2016, you know, it's still a topic of conversation that the UFC doesn't pay their fighters what they deserve. But back then it was pretty bad. And yeah. if you weren't one of the top fighters, you weren't making a great living and yeah. you were, you know, putting yourself through hell and back. Yeah, and so literally, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were okay with anything that also brought them in, you know, income, but they also had product for free that was helping them recover and sleep better and things like that. And so we took a stance very early on, like we were going to market towards the healthiest of us. We were going to market towards athletes not only would that help tell a better story of what CBD does and what our endocannabinoid system is, but it's also going to keep us out of trouble. Yeah. And for me Pretty and sure. for anybody listening to that, like a really easy rule of thumb, if you're wondering if you're making a claim or not, is are you marketing to a healthy person or are you marketing to a sick person? Yeah. Yeah. That's no, it. I like the, yeah. It's a, it's a very clear kind of strategy of, of choosing your audience segment. Mm -hmm. wisely, um, you know, in terms of both from an opportunity, but also from a risk mitigation point of view. Exactly. So how, I mean, I guess, look, looking at the, um, the sort of the industry and your business model, and where, where do you, where do you feel like your business model has been effective in kind of, I guess, managing, weathering, navigating kind of the ups and downs of the industry, you know, taking, uh, you know, being able to t capitalize on opportunities, minimize some of these risks, um, and, and I guess why choose the model that you have and kind of what you've, what you've chosen to operate and what you've chosen to outsource. Like, give me a sense of where, where you've kind of positioned yourself. Yeah, so I have learned throughout the years and, you know, it's a longer story and I know we'd have to have a lot longer time to tell you the whole story, but I've learned that I'm really good at brand and brand equity. And for me, our strategy has been extending the time horizon that we look at KPIs and success further than anyone else is looking. And I think it's very easy to see new markets emerge or new opportunities emerge in this market and jump on them without a second thought because all of a sudden you can increase your revenue, you can make a bunch of money. And there's two categories here that I'm thinking of as I'm speaking about it. And one is, you know, we took a seven-figure hit for a decision that we made to no longer sell vape products. Mm -hmm. Vape was one of our top sellers out of the gate. And again, we were selling vape to UFC fighters. Yeah. And it became clear that we didn't know if the net benefit was a positive. We knew that 
vaping CBD was the quickest way to break the blood-brain barrier. We did not know that if you vape anything, is that good? If you're heating up a metal canister with glue and other pieces in there to a very high temperature and then inhaling its vapor, is that going to be a net positive? Is the CBD getting into your bloodstream fast enough going to be good enough to outweigh the potential negative or harm of vaping something at all? And since we couldn't clearly answer that question, we pulled the entire vape line, which was Mm -hmm. doing over seven figures for us in a year. And there's some people that would tell you that was a horrible decision because we cleared that. But if you look at success at a longer term time horizon, what we did was showed our customers that we actually care about them over the top line. We care about them first and foremost, and we look at things through a lens of, will I give this product to my mother who's struggling with cancer right now. And so that's a true story. That's a true lens that I put our products through is if it's good enough for her, it's good enough for my customers. If it's something I wouldn't give to her because I feel like it would put her at risk, then why am I giving it to customers? Mm -hmm. And so we took that early on and we took that with the Delta 8 craze. All of a sudden you had these synthetic cannabinoids pop up. You have this loophole where, hey, we're buying CBD and then we're converting in a lab, but it's CBD from hemp. And so after that, it's fine. And I think they're right for all intents and purposes. I think they're right. I think it is and should be legal as the farm bill is written today. However, I don't think it's safe personally. And I think that there's been enough people come out and speak about Delta 8 that are much smarter than me and they have the data. They're looking at it, right? So you have the chief science officer of Proverde Lab saying like, We don't know what else is happening in this conversion process. When you take CBD, you take it in a lab and you have it undergo this synthetic process and you synthesize it into a different chemical structure, you are getting a lot of that new structure, that Delta-8 structure. But there's also other mutant cannabinoids that are happening in there that aren't going to show up on test results because we're not testing for them. We don't know what they are. We can see the peaks on the chromatography machine. We can see that there's other things in here, but we don't know what they are, and we don't know how they're going to affect your body. And to me, that's terrifying that people would just jump into it like, yes, it produces an effect, and it's kind of like this legal high play, but it also shows me that those that jumped on that early, that pushed that out, don't truly care about their customers. And I will be brash enough to say it that way, and I understand that I get, you know, some heat for saying things so definitively but i truly believe that like if you've done the research if you looked in enough there's no way that you can confidently say that your product is safe we just don't know it's new and this is coming from someone who experiments on themselves with cannabinoids i remember the first time i got cbg isolate i understood that cbg was the mother cannabinoid that cannabis first expresses itself in cbg and then you know it changes from there and so to me cbg was always really really interesting it was the one i was most interested to learn about after cbd and i remember the first time i got isolate i think it was the end of 2016 and it was some of the world's first cbg isolate it had kind of that orange tint to it if you've seen it and I lived in Colorado at the time, and it wasn't uncommon to have an e-nail or a dab rig plugged in at all times if you lived in Colorado. And so I looked at that, and I looked at the CBG isolate, and I was like, hmm. Let's do it. (laughs) I could probably be one of the first humans ever to dab CBG isolate. Maybe the last. Who knows? Yeah, maybe the last. But like, 
that was curious enough for me. I think I was a 26 year old at the time. I was like, hmm, first human to ever do something. That's cool enough. Yeah. And so I tried it. And it had an effect as though I had taken an Adderall. It had a an extreme focus effect on yeah. me. And I have been chasing trying to reproduce that effect without making someone dab something yeah. since then and i haven't quite figured that out but yeah. again this is coming from someone who was willing to experiment in that way but yeah i always do my research first and i always yeah. understand what the risks are and i'm honestly okay if you're a brand selling delta 8 that is letting people know of those risks there are inherent risks this is a brand new thing we don't see delta 8 in large quantities in the hemp plant there's no product out there that is sold as delta 8 that isn't synthesized in a lab yeah it doesn't grow in high enough and so if you're doing that and we don't know what we don't know we don't know what we can't test for there there's an inherent risk there and if you're at least letting them know and, and providing that disclaimer that's the type of business i can respect but if you're not letting them know and you know that there's a problem there and to me you know i will take the high ground even if it's to my detriment or to my company's detriment in the near term because yeah. i think if you play it out this is my life's purpose cannabis and hemp for health and wellness is what i will be doing for the next 40 years god willing and i'm not in a rush i can yeah. play a much longer term game and build that brand equity over time of like Oh, yeah, he's right. Dan's always actually taken a stance of he's going to make sure it's good for his customers before he provides it, even if he's going to lose money in the near term. Yeah. And so for me, getting kind of coming full circle on that original question of like, you know, how are you guys building? Where do you see the market going? I think that we're just uncovering so much. And I'm so interested in the field of endocannabinology and the people out there studying the function and dysfunction of the endocannabinoid system. And I think so many of our answers are going to lie there. And then as we learn more about that, we'll get to understand and learn more about all of the other cannabinoids, the 110 plus that we know of that we're just starting to yeah, scratch, scratch the surface. The surface. Yeah. And so like, that's exciting to me yeah. and why this industry is not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. Any big plans for 2024? Anything on your strategic roadmap? There's certainly some big plans. There's always big plans. What I'm saying, both personally and professionally, and it's a mantra that my fiance and I have adopted, is less is more 2024. Simplify, focus on the basics, focus what you're good at. Don't chase other things that you don't understand. And for me, we're getting back to the basics in a big way of making sure our products are the best of the best and we can stand on that and they produce the desired effects that our customers are looking for and that they're safe and transparent and there's some other things i can't talk about yet that i'm really excited about launching some things in 2024 so i'll be sure to, to reach out to you when that happens and yeah, fill you in and, and maybe it makes sense to come back and talk about those but i think there's a new industry emerging and I think my only concerns now, and I don't know if you've seen the same reports that I've been looking at over the past couple of weeks, but man, we've really taken a dip in the amount of hemp grown. And when is yeah. that going to be a problem? Yeah. I think all the farmers grew a ton of hemp thinking mm -hmm. cannabinoids were going to make them rich. And cannabinoids aren't even the biggest hemp market. Like, never has been if yeah. you look at grain and fiber and food and all of the other things it's like guys there's plenty of other markets here where hemp is going to be needed and again 
you're talking about a plant that we have evolved so intimately with over thousands of years that we have an endocannabinoid system. Yeah, exactly. We've actually adjusted ourselves to respond to the cannabis plant. Yeah. So like it's that innate to who we are for thousands of years. And here in America, we're just now allowed to grow it over the past five years. And you're thinking the market's over? We haven't even started. Yeah, well, it's, the first, it's just going to go through these cycles for a while. So. Yeah, and yeah. it's exciting as it is frustrating. <laughs> but that's, you know, when you pave new paths, you're going to run into a lot of roadblocks yeah. that you got to clear. And so yeah. I'm excited about it. I Again, I love what I do. I love people like you who add an air of professionality and legitimacy. And I think that's how we get this thing mainstream. That's how we help under people understand that there's other alternatives for them there's natural alternatives on them there might be a route to get off of the pharmaceutical hamster wheel that they've been on for the past 10 years there might be i'm not telling them that there is but there might be be. and i think it starts with an understanding of your endocannabinoid system i really think that's where it starts yeah Dan, this has been a pleasure if people want to find out more about you more about spectrum what's the best way to get that information yeah so more about me, you can follow me on Instagram. I put out a lot of content there. I've been quiet lately working on some stuff, but it's Daniel Blake Herder on Instagram, and it is Dan Hempman on TikTok. So a little easier to follow there. And then for Pure Spectrum, the website is purespectrumcbd.com and Pure Spectrum Hemp on all social handles. Sounds great. I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bruce. It's been a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate you. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.